timely topics, helpful insights. This is Teaching Grounds. Each episode will explore the inner workings of healthcare, life, and leadership to help you navigate the waters ahead. Hello again, and welcome back to Teaching Grounds. I am your host, Curtis Merritt. If you join us for the first time today, I want to say welcome. Um, Teaching Grounds is a place where we explore topics in medicine and life and leadership and just about everything else under the sun. And we utilize something we call our box of lenses. This is basically viewpoints and perspectives and uh, just sort of try to have a humble attitude when it comes to uh, looking at people and things that happen in our world in medicine and nursing and uh, doctoring, etc. cetera. Uh, like I said, I'm Curtis Merritt. I am a physician. I'm an internist. I uh, work as a hospitalist. And um, I try to bring that physician's lens um, perhaps a little bit closer, a little bit less aloof. Try to let you guys um, sort of experience how we, or at least how I, uh, view the world and how it sort of shapes and molds um, my thinking and my decision making and things like that. So, um, today is kind of an interesting topic, and it's probably one of the topics I knew was coming and I've been giving some thought to over the last several months. Uh, and it's one that's pretty easy to digress. It's pretty easy to turn into a um, sort of a complaint festival. Uh, it's pretty easy to generate a story of your experience where you've had something uh, similar. Um, and the reason is it's pretty common and there's a bit of human nature that takes effect that when sort of bad things happen, bad experiences, etc., uh, we remember them and we don't usually forget them. And so it has a way of sort of shaping and molding, um, you know, how we, uh, recall these, uh, events. So the question actually came from, uh, from D and it was titled physician behavior if there's not a more hot button issue that will get more uh, input, whether uh, asked for or otherwise, <laughs> it's probably going to be physician behavior. And one thing I promise you guys is we go forward with teaching grounds. We will never shy away from the hard topics. Uh, I carry a pretty large, what I consider large um, box of lenses in my own life that help me sort of navigate um through questions like this. Um, a good example is um, sort of very timely, I guess, as far as the uh, political things go, is uh, race in America. Um, there's a wonderful book. I don't know if you've ever read it before. It's called Letters Across the Divide. Um, and it's basically these two guys, David Anderson and Brent uh, Zercher, I think is his name. And basically they just have an open conversation about race and about perspectives and each one carries lenses i don't think they really understood they have and those lenses sort of shape and um and color and contrast how they view the other's experiences and through some really honest conversations uh, these guys were able to um sort of explore uh, those those ideas a little bit further and it's a really interesting read uh, if you haven't picked it up, I'd recommend you uh, go pick it up. It's called Letters Across the Divide, David Anderson and Brent Zercher. Uh, two guys, uh, both men of faith, and they both uh, just wanted to 
I think it started out with just a letter, just asking an honest question. And from there, sort of stemmed into this uh, conversation. And that's really what we want to have. We want to have conversations because, again, we all carry lenses, every one of us, and they all shape how we see the world. And it really just behooves us to take an honest look and to really question whether or not those lenses are helpful, whether or not they're accurate, and whether or not uh, what we're seeing is really the true world out there. Now, the nice thing is we can control the lenses we choose to pick up. Um, You know, one of the great lenses, and and we'll sort of lead into this here shortly, is a book by Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders. In fact, my daughter, her school is a um, leadership school or something. She's uh, just an elementary school, but she and her entire school are going through the Seven Habits of Highly Effective um, People. And so when we pull up to the uh, drop her off. There's actually signs posted of all these seven habits, and it's really interesting because what it, that is doing is helping shape the lenses of, um, of of our children, and is hopefully uh, going to pay off some huge dividends down the road. Now, getting back to the topic, uh, like I said, this is from D. It came up on uh, our Teaching Grounds website. If you haven't checked us out, please do, teachinggrounds.com. You can uh, email us a question. You can post comments, uh, the different articles. And as we continue to improve that, um, you know, we'd love to hear your feedback. And that's the whole point is just put this stuff out there in the open. Um, I always filter, and we always filter what comes through. Um, so there's not going to be a whole lot of negativity. But D has a great great way of putting it. I'm just going to read off the question here. Um, it says, uh, what's on your mind? Physician behavior. Uh, I would love to hear your take on why a large number of physicians portray negative behaviors, i.e. condescension, irritation, disrespect, another, you know, uh, and often aggression towards nurses. Where do these behaviors that are not acceptable in public place in our society originate? Is it ego, education, environment, enabling, example, or insecurity? Um, how does physician training affect their sense of appropriate behavior? I in no way mean to imply that all physicians act this way in this negative manner, but it seems to only take a handful to create a less than optimal environment. Uh, and then sort of a follow-up, how would you feel is the most appropriate way to handle these physicians? I'm going to tackle that easy one first. Um, I actually picked this up from Sam Waterston. He was on Law and Order for a long time, probably still is, if he's still alive. Um, anyway, Sam Waterston's character was a, a district attorney, and he was interviewing um, or talking to some other attorney one time, and he said, um, "You know, that person's conduct is beyond reproach." And that's really, I think, the answer to that last question. What do you feel is the most appropriate way to handle these physicians? It's number one, make sure nothing you're doing um, is at fault. I.e., don't, you know, you got to do your very best not to explode. And I mean you and I mean me, because uh, we all interact across the divide, whether I'm talking to docs, nurses, techs, uh, anyone. I always try to have that, that sort of uh, stable, polite um, mannerism. Uh, Personally, my reason for that, uh, I'm a believer, and you know the Bible that I read really says everyone's made in the image of God, and so that is the lens uh, I have to carry, is that everyone is ultimately made after their maker, um, at least from the background I come from. And so that means that everyone is entitled to a basal level, uh, to go all insulin on you here, they're entitled to a basal level of respect. Um, you know, but the Bible also says to give those, um, 
to whom each is due. So, um, you know, if it's honor, honor, if it's respect, respect. And I think everyone deserves that sort of basal level. So and I think that's probably where Dia is coming from. They've sort of maintained this, um, you know, this level of respect and have not uh, tarried, I guess. They have not uh, gone off there. Um, but it is still hard. That doesn't make it any easier when you have um, particularly people in positional authority. They may not be direct authority over you. They may not be your boss with hire, fire, give money, and take money ability over you, but they may be your uh, positional authority, uh, the doctor over the nurses, which traditionally is, is how it is in America. Um, but that's also one of the things we want to tackle here on Teaching Grounds. Now, by no means are we saying, or is a doctor and a nurse ever going to be equal in terms of capability? That's, that's just not how the world is. But there is um, a basal level of respect, and there is a basal level um, of communication and timeliness and just decency towards each other that we have to exhibit. So that's that would uh, what I would say would be the first appropriate way uh, to handle that physician. Number two, you have a hierarchy over you that is capable of dealing with it. And, and some of my roles uh, that I've taken and currently take, that is my job is to approach, um, you know, colleagues or whoever uh, who have had issues with uh, staff or someone else and make sure that we, uh, we get those problems resolved. Most of the time, I would say vast majority of the time, it is just a communication issue, meaning it, I call it the fluff, uh, basically. The fluff is sort of how we uh, hedge our bets when we give a message. So already in this podcast is a good example. I've said a lot of things to sort of fluff the comment of, you know, which is, which is um, the, uh, the, the main point of this conversation is to say we should all give each other respect, right? So that's the whole point. That's where we're going in this conversation. But to do that, I have to kind of anticipate what someone's background may be. They may have had a very bad experience. They may be a physician listening. They may be. The point is that everyone comes from a different background. Again, a lens that I carry. And everyone um, hopefully can feel included in this conversation. Everyone can hopefully feel like they're a part and have a, have a say. Um, and yes, there have been times where, uh, there's been staff and nurses that have completely messed up my orders. In those situations, I've seen docs explode. There have been situations where I've seen incredible doctors of character just sit there and navigate through that issue, whatever it was, whether it was time, you know, med wasn't given on time or whether it was, you know, um, an order not carried out. Um, we are all sort of masters of our own behavior. And if you go on teaching grounds, we actually talk a lot about behavior because I really think behavior and our own introspection is a huge reason as why we can stay in this game as long as we do. Now, granted, everyone comes from different backgrounds and some people that's harder to adapt to. That's harder to change and mold and, um, to take, but, but it is worth it. And that is a big, one of the other big points is this conversation, these conversations we have, they are worth uh, diving into. They are worth pressing into because the more we can adapt, the more we can change up our own behavior. Um, you know, the better we're going to interact with the world, the better and more effective we're going to be. So, so cycling back uh, to answer Dee's question. Yeah, there isn't a most appropriate way to handle these physicians. Number one, you make your accountability and you make your behavior beyond reproach. And that, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. You could have totally made a mistake, but have the decency to say, you know, tell the truth. You know, yes, I made a mistake or, 
whatever. Now, you cannot control their behavior, but you do have recourse to their behavior. So you have a hierarchy, a nurse manager, charge nurse, see, charge nurse, nurse manager, um, all the way up to CNO, um, that you can, I promise you, every system in America has a, or every hospital system and uh, clinic and setting has a, uh, a system uh, for handling issues like this. And here's the deal. It's no longer okay to treat people poorly. That's across the board. That's, you know, whether you're in the store or, you know, in the hospital setting, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, everyone deserves a basal, uh, basic level of respect and courtesy. If you're not doing that, you're going to have problems. Uh, we're big believers here on Teaching Grounds of Life's Not Fair. Sorry for anybody out there that thinks it is. I apologize. It's not. <laughs> Bad things happen. Uh, people sometimes go on forever that are evil, and sometimes really good people pass away, and there's a whole list of stuff that just, it's not fair. But we do believe in the law of the harvest, and what that is is basically what you sow, eventually you will reap. So if you sow uh, courtesy, respect, kindness, guess what? That's going to be harvested. You're going to receive that back. Whether it's uh, leadership and good financial planning or creativity or whatever, all those things, that is what you're going to uh, reap in the end. So there's sort of a you know macro view of there is a law of the harvest out there. These people, whoever they are, with, you know, regardless of whether they're doctor, nurse, or tech, or whoever, um, there is a um, sort of a celestial or faith-based recourse to it, but also, um, you know, there's a a hierarchy that is in place in just about every system to navigate a person with a complaint or a concern. Now, going back out to the macro, you know, somewhere between the uh, the thirty thousand foot view and the twenty foot view, uh, somewhere in between there. Um, is the view that anything that prevents someone from wanting to come and talk to me, so if that's my bad attitude, if that's um, people think I have personality disorder, sometimes, sometimes you know, depends on how tired I am, you know, my affect goes real flat, and, you know, sometimes I, I don't give a lot of emotion, but I'm an internist, so I'm not sure we come preloaded with motions. Um Anything that prevents someone from wanting to come to talk to me, I need to look at really honestly. I need to look at it honestly and I need to decide, is there something I can do about that? Because, and this gets into patient safety and, you know, unfortunately that's a sort of a misused term these days. Patient safety, I've seen a lot of bad policies go through under the guise of patient safety, but... Anything that prevents someone from wanting to pick up the phone and relay information to me as a physician, uh, whether it's nurse or another doctor or whatever, that's got to go. So anything that would get in that way, even if it's me, that has to change. We have to get better because when somebody's hurting, when somebody's sick, the last thing I want is a hesitant person on the other line trying to explain away, not because the problem is minor, but because they don't want to have to endure um, you know, endure the consequence of having to talk to me. So that's one of my big things is anything that would uh, prevent someone from picking up that phone. We all want to, um, you know, make sure we address it. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I mean, we, we all have been there where we're, uh, you're just having a bad day or whatever. 
And we want to make sure that we're always uh, the kind of person. In fact, I do this to the point where um, even the way I answer the phone is sort of preloaded to be inviting. And so when I pick up the phone, Dr. Merritt, that's not an angry, you know, the first impression most people get up from that is not, um, you know, not sort of off-putting. It should be at the very basic, you know, it should be neutral, if not inviting to go ahead and ask your question. Um, and that's the kind of, uh, you know, practice style I want to have. So, you know, to answer that first question, like I said, cycling back on Dee's question here, um, that is the most appropriate way. Make sure you, uh, your behavior is beyond reproach. Don't, don't answer a fool as to a fool with foolish behavior and you make sure that you're uh, being professional and polite and courteous. Number two, use your hierarchy, use your, um, you know, system that's in place to handle complaints like that. So we're going to kind of tarry off now to the side here and really dive into the question. Um, why, why do we see these behaviors and is it something in training or something that could maybe help us understand when we see them? Now, again, this is not condoning. This is not condemning. This is really just an exploration of why is this general perception out there um and the first thing i think you we should kind of visit back to um would be the uh what is called the negative recall bias so humans as a a whole we are geared towards remembering the bad thing that happened to us and regardless of how you think we came to be there's a piece of us that is meant to um, keep that bad thing from happening again. So the bear attacked me. Okay, I see bear. I don't go near bear. Um, I ate that berry. It didn't sit well. I threw up. Okay, I remember that and I don't forget it. Um, I even think this applies in a little micro sense, like when you eat food and it doesn't agree with you, and then uh, you know an hour later you're feeling bad, and you can almost verbatim know which part of that food it was. You know, it was the fish, it was the chicken, it was the rice, or whatever. Um, I think I think there's some mechanism in us that can understand that. But anyway, uh, but the point is that um, we do have a negative recall bias, meaning it is harder, I would say, as a whole. Again, I try not to paint in broad strokes, but I would think as a whole, it is sort of human nature to have more difficulty remembering good events or even just neutral events. Neutral events actually kind of aren't important if you consider the day-to-day, the number of decisions we make. So what we end up remembering is really great experiences and really bad experiences. And we don't always denote when we have really great experience. And here's an example. So when I'm on call for admissions and it's my admission slot, and let's say I have the late one today and I get no admissions. The next morning I get three right off the bat. Boom, boom, boom. 7.30 I've gotten three admissions. My overall perception, this is just me, my overall perception of that is negative. Why? Because, man, I got three admissions. Well, what about the day when you had none? Uh, You know, just kind of went under the bridge. That work wasn't added to my list, and so it didn't become a burden. It didn't become a a task or a to-do list or, you know, something else I needed to knock out. And so as a result, it just sort of disappeared. So there is, at least in my perception, like, again, these are all based on my own lenses. There is a perception that, um, you know, when we do encounter a bad doc, a bad nurse, or whoever, and usually they're not bad themselves, it's just they're exhibiting poor behavior, 
um, we do tend to remember them with a preference. And again, this is sort of my perspective on it, not condemning, not condoning, just saying that um, there is a mechanism in us to where we don't sort of forget those examples. Now, let's take a look at doctor training. And I, I bring this um, this lens up not, not in any way to say that when someone throws their instruments or you know, is rude on the phone that that is the way to be. No, that's not acceptable. But what we do want to see is... Um, is there something in training that may have played a role, may have changed a perspective uh, for these people that, uh, that are our physicians out there? Well, when you look at training, uh, first of all, we go through high school and uh, we graduate high school. We go to, usually on to college and um, we do our four years of college most of the time. We do our prerequisites. And so already out of high school, we've had four years of training. And if I understand right, the BSN programs usually run three to four years, depending. Uh, sometimes people go, you know, they're CNA first, then they're an LVN, uh, then they're an RN. That's what my mom did. It was all night classes. So it's, it's not always chopped up into equal years. But for a physician, after you're done with college, you then, if you go straight through, you then enter med school. So you have two years of classroom where it's just day in, day out, eight hours a day for two years. Um... And there's a variety of classes, but it's pretty much just classwork for the most part. And you have two years of that. So already we're six years out from high school. In that time, you are told, learn this because you will need to make a decision down the road. And that's sort of the overarching theme of med school. You need to know this because one day, dot, 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 it will pay off for a patient. You'll need to see this. Um, and if... Um, you know, if you get through those uh, two years, which are very difficult, um, you then have two years of clinical. Okay, this is when we put on little short white coats, um, sort of a slightly almost derogatory term for the med students, but they are short coats. Um, sort of reminds me, and this is a little off color, but I'll say it anyway, sort of reminds me of that story in the Bible where uh, David's men go out to greet, I forget who the king was, but they go out to greet him and pay their respects for whatever reason, and he cuts off their gowns, uh, or their um, robes off at the butt, and then sends them on their way, and sort of ultimate shaming, I think it cuts off the beards too, and um, you know, David says, stay there, and he musters the army and goes and takes care of business. Um may have been Nabal, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, to digress. So every time I see and remember my own experiences as a med student, that's what I think of. I think of David's story. Anyway, like I said, digress and a little off color, but there you go. So when we go through training, we're now uh, six years out. We're entering clinicals. Now we have to start doing a apprenticeship. Um, most apprenticeships in the old days lasted about seven years. Uh, there's a great um, sort of study of the violinist of, uh, I forget which, um, you know, opera house or school or whatever it was, but it is sort of where we derive the 10,000 hour rule, meaning mastery of a subject comes at about 10,000 hours. And basically it was the difference between 10,000, 8,000, 6,000 hours of study was the difference between master, very good and, you know, somewhat good violinist. Anyway, so we're at six years at this point, we're almost into our seventh year and, now we are starting to see the body and see patients and s develop a lens of fix, right? So they have this, what can you do? They have sepsis, they have liver failure, they have uh, pneumonia. What, what should we be doing? What should we be thinking? 
That's a very decision-forward, I-decide sort of mentality. And that's the way we're trained. And arguably, that's the way we need to be trained because you don't want to have to ask everyone's opinion to you know help a patient. You want to make sure that you have a, a background and a depth from which to act. And so um, clinicals are another two years. So now we are eight years out from high school and we graduate. And we're doctors and we can't practice. Why? Because in America, you have to have postgraduate training in order to, um, in order to pr- practice medicine. So you have to have at least a year just to get a license. And that really only qualifies you as a general practitioner, um, which is, that's not an intern, that's not family doc, that's just you've graduated, you are a doctor, but you carry no title and no specialty. Uh, when I look up at my board, um, you know, my, uh, my diploma, uh, or my board certification, uh, certifies me as a, um, diplomat certified in the specialty of internal medicine. I am an internist, but when you only do a year, you carry no title. So after med school, you have to have at least three years. So now think about that. We were at eight years. We need another three. We're 11 years out from high school. And for the most part, we haven't done anything else, right? So all the experiences and all the things, uh, life. Now, I have to be honest here. Some people have a phenomenal balance when it comes to this, and they are able to navigate med school and family and all that stuff. I could really only do two. I could do family and I could do school, and I didn't do anything else because I, I just didn't have the, I guess, the capacity for it. Um we are now 11 years out from school. Every doc is different, but I have to think that that shapes you pretty profoundly. I know over in the overseas um, med schools, it is a little different. Sometimes there's not as much high school and less college and vice versa. There's sort of a, um, you know, I think it's a six-year program over in England, if I'm not mistaken. Again, don't quote me on that, but um, we've gone a long way either way since high school to get to where we're at now. And for the last seven years of it, we're told, be ready to fix, be ready to act, be ready to intervene, be ready to take them to the cath lab, be ready to uh, put them on the vent, be ready to give them this medicine. Now, again, I have to go back and say, for the most part, I think the vast majority of the doctors out there do a phenomenal job of balancing that sort of pressure and that sort of um, force, if you will, um, against interpersonal relationships. And they have this ability to navigate it. And unfortunately, like we already talked about, we do carry a bit of a negative recall bias. We don't always remember those docs that are polite and kind. And I know even my my own personal practice, uh, the ones I interact with that, um, you know, I've always been courteous and kind and helpful and all that stuff. They don't stick out in my brain except when I need help. It's when I, it's the ones that, you know, I've had difficulty with, um, which I'm kind of lucky right now. The place I'm at is a got phenomenal docs, but in the past, yeah, there's been some, some tension and some interaction issues. And again, it's not to condone, it's not to condemn. It is just to say that there is a lens and a perspective that can shape and color how those people may be interacting. Um, and again, we talked about this already. Um, 
you know, this sort of negative behavior in general does not fly anymore. There used to be the old days where the doctor said it and it was, and they could throw things, assault you, they could do whatever they want. It seemed like at least you could go by the old stories and it was, it was fine. You know why? Cause they're the doctor. Well, that's not the case anymore. We're all in a, uh, environment of, um, mutual respect now. So, um, one thing I'll say, cause it was one of the words used by D and his, um, and his or her, um, comments here was the word irritation. I'll give you a little anecdotal story here, um, just sort of an inside lens. Um, and what's nice, and pretty much across the board, just about every nurse I've ever talked to is usually apologetic for calling because they think we get asked a lot of questions. And sometimes that is the case, but we're also here for a lot of questions. So, you know, there's a balance to it there too. But one of the words he, he or she used was um, irritation. And... I remember one night I was on call and we had, uh, I think it was 54 phone calls. I counted them. I went through the phone and counted, not, not counting a callback. So if I missed a call, I had a callback. This was 54 individual numbers, individual times before like 3 or 4 a.m. It was a night call. And that is a huge, huge amount of calls. And it does take emotional energy to interact and be polite, kind, and courteous on calls like that. Now, that being said, that's our job, but it does wear on people. One thing I would used to tell my um, residents and interns and everything, and my, especially my students when we'd walk the halls, is people are a finite resource. You need to know how to use your team and how to sort of leverage the workload. And in a situation, situation like nights, you might not always be able to uh, leverage your team and um, sort of divide out the work. There may just be a single dock on for the hospital. So with the calls, there is a level of emotional energy that has to be expelled each and every time uh, we're called. And again, this is our job. This is what we signed up for. Um, but that does not necessarily translate into making that easier. And I'll be honest, there have been days where I've been impolite, frankly rude. In fact, I remember one of the first times I interacted with um, uh, some of the staff, uh, the places I've been, it's just, I was tired. I didn't have the emotional energy to, um, you know, to, to carry on a conversation to, um, sort of what I call fluff the comments, meaning make them polite and kind and palatable. You know, I had to give sort of a blunt answer. So I think the big take home, um, from most of this is there really needs to be, and this, this is one of the few times I'll say there's a broad sweeping, um, application and that is there needs to be grace on both sides and i think it's probably already been a little bit disproportionate uh as far as grace given from the nurse's side simply because i know how i've been at certain times in my career in certain you know situations and just about across the board it is you guys have been awesome but like i said going forward it's something that we need to make sure that we're all um, engaging we're all taking measures to make sure that you know because we're all on the same team we're all taking measures to make sure that we're we are passing along information asking our questions engaging in the right therapies and that sort of thing so um, to get back to Dee's question um, why do we uh, why did a large number of physicians portray these negative behaviors you know I think there is a bit of a taxing load from that 11 years at least Go to a specialist and you're looking anywhere upwards to 14, 15 years. 
So there is a bit of a taxing nature the training has taken from us. You got to figure out those 15 years, that's a lot of questions. That's a lot of stuff. And again, we're not condemning or not condoning. It's just a lens for us to perceive maybe why these interactions, because again, going back to Stephen Covey's point, um, his seven habits, highly effective leaders, which I think I digressed from before I got to the point earlier, uh, is seek first to understand then be understood. And that's a challenging one for me. That's not one I innately do. I want you to know what I, you know, where I'm coming from most of the time. Like I just want to bluntly sort of push it forward, but that's not the way, um, Stephen Covey, Covey has, you know, put forward that principle and, it, and the longer I live and the farther along I go, the more I think he's right. We need to understand each other. We need to take measures to listen and, um, you know, and engage in an honest conversation, a lot like uh, the letters across the divide with Anderson and uh, Zercher, their book, um, you know, honest conversations. And I think sometimes it's hard depending on your environment because it depends on which people you have at the other end of that conversation. And it has to be a two-way conversation. You know, it can't be what sounds like a reprimand and it can't be um, sort of a, oh, it's all my fault. You know, it needs to be a, a dichotomy. It needs to be a um, a two-way, uh, or not a dichotomy, a dialogue. It needs to be a two-way conversation. So, that being said, um, I think that pretty well covers um, physician behavior. And remember, at the end of the day, make sure your own character, your own behavior is beyond reproach. You know, use the old Sam Waterston, um, you know, line from Law & Order. And... Make sure that you utilize the chain of command. Now, one of the things I've experienced in the past is people that go above their next in line chain. So, hey, I have this problem with this person. I'm going to go to the C whatever O is highest in the land and send them email and demand satisfaction. Well, the problem with that is, is that then sort of nullifies your complaint. Most likely a good C whatever O, CNO, CEO, or whoever will address your complaint, but it sort of has this way of tainting your perspective and tainting your point because you didn't go through the normal channels. And that's just sort of a human nature thing. Those channels are there um, to be utilized. Now, if you're finding that the, uh, the person directly above you is not reporting your concerns, then yeah, that's why there's a chain. That's why there's multiple links for you to use and not just, um, not just one direction. It gives you a whole lot of different options. But do, do that. When I have a complaint, when I have a concern, the first thing I do is go to that person. If I cannot resolve it with that person, um, which, hey, sometimes that happens, if it needs escalation, then I go to the next step. You know, if I have a problem with uh, a doctor, if I have a problem with um, a nurse or someone, the first thing I do is try to go to them. If it's not not happening, they don't want to hear it, or they're uh, offended or uh, hurt or whatever, uh, then you know it's your role uh, to step up to the next um, to the next person in line. Always making sure that the point you have to make is is the point, and not. Uh, not the hurt feelings, and it's fun to express your uh, when when somebody's, you know, really sort of um, acting appropriately. It was offensive or or whatever. But again, I think it works best when there's grace on both sides. So that is tackling the topic of physician behavior. I will not label it as such in the podcast because it's a bit um, uh, sort of already. Uh, prompts some reactions even when you uh even when it's felt to be a, a fairly uh, benign approach but 
But do, if you guys have any questions, that is why we're here. Teaching Grounds was really established uh, as a way of asking uh, asking questions, asking hard questions if, if need be, and trying to make a dialogue between doctors and nurses to where we can all just openly share. That's why it's Teaching Grounds. I mean, it's sort of like if you ever go to those museums where you can figure out how a tornado works and all that sort of thing, it's a free-for-all. You just learn and explore, ask questions, and we all learn together. So if you have any questions, hit us up on teachinggrounds.com. Uh, you can email me, curtis at teachinggrounds.com. That's C-U-R-T-I-S. Um, and we got a lot of fairly neat stuff. We're sort of building up the site as we go forward. Um, the comments are there. If you want to see sort of some comments from previous people, we have a Facebook page. You can hit us up on Facebook. Uh, there's a link on the Teaching Grounds website. Appreciate it so much you joining us today. And we'll see you next time on Teaching Grounds. The information presented on Teaching Grounds is the opinion of the author and does not necessarily represent the opinions and viewpoints of our affiliate partners. Timely topics, helpful insights. This is Teaching Grounds. Teaching Grounds and the Teaching Grounds podcasts are the property of Teaching Grounds Incorporated, all rights reserved.